Blog Talk Radio. This is All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio, the talk show dedicated to the wine industry since 2009, featuring winemaker, cellar master, vineyardist, and tasting expert, Ron. Basically what we're trying to do on this program is just trying to educate people and trying to make wine less confusing and more friendly. From coast to coast and around the world. You know, we really have had some some neat people on the program. I, I just, I love that. Share your question or comments using the live chat feature on our website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Again, that's www.allaboutwinebtr.com. And now, All About Wine is on. Here's Ron. Good crowd. Yeah. Warmed up a little bit. I'm happy. Yes, it did. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> they, can, they can sit out on the lawn again and not have to worry about bundling up or the rain or anything right. like that. So they're they're enjoying and the outdoors right now. Early <laughs> in the season where they're not being attacked by mosquitoes or anything. It's just a beautiful, yep. beautiful time yeah. of year. There, I read in the paper a couple of days ago that Tampa International Airport over the next six weeks, expects to get an extra 2,000 people a day going through the airport, an extra 2,000 on top of their normal crowd because of spring break Mm. coming in. Spring break just starts around the country, (laughs) and so over over 2,000 people a day will be flying, plus the normal crowds, Mm. but uh, yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And well, um, yeah, but you know, it's because of beautiful weather down here. Uh, yeah, so it's only two thousand per day going. Oh, that's just through that airport. Because I was thinking, there's like twenty thousand per hour going going on I four now, and it's it's ridiculous right. the traffic on there. And, and that's just sure flying into the one airport. Yeah, that's you yeah. know. Then you've got Miami and Fort Lauderdale and Fort Myers Fort and Tallahassee and Jacksonville and Orlando yeah. is you know you probably jump up all those major, all those yeah. major so, airports. All the major Terrible. airports are going to be increasing over the next six weeks because of spring break. So all yeah. your students come on down and uh, spend mm-hmm. your money. So we stay will off have, I four. And stay off I four. <laughs> stay off you know. Nineteen and <laughs> yeah. everything will be fine. <laughs> yes, we, yes, and nineteen, yes, especially. <laughs> yeah, nineteen, especially. Just stay off mm, of it. Yeah. Mm. If you yeah, want to know great. alternate routes, then get on All About Wine and ask me. I'll tell you <laughs> alternate routes that'll take you around. Stay off of nineteen. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, just we are public service announcement. <laughs> Speaking of, speaking of contacting us, as you heard during our intro, uh, no phone number, so don't call the six four six phone number to call in. Please use the chat function on the website allaboutwinebtr.com. www.allaboutwinebtr.com. You'll see the live chat button. Click on that, and you can chat that way. Uh, because I will ignore you on the say, Oh, somebody's there, and then we'll keep on talking <laughs> and won't answer that's it right. because we, that's right. the few have there. ruined it for the many, and so that's why we that's have true. to do it. That's right. Yeah, yeah. there's um, quite a few. Yeah. Um, anyway, so, yeah, we do want to hear oh, from you, but uh, just – or email. 
you can also email or email us. us. Yeah, yeah, we can email us yeah. or, or chat with yeah. us or any number of things uh, you know, online. Well, <clears throat> Mike's yeah. always on top of that stuff. There, so. uh, um, yeah. Public service announcement number two. The first one is stay off at 19 if you're down here. Number two, set your alarm clocks for 2 o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. Get up and Ooh. set it forward one hour because we spring forward this Sunday. Oh, that's right. I thought yeah. you were going to say we were having a special show or something. I was like, oh, we're coming. No, no. <laughs> Set we the clock for 2 a.m. because. <laughs> so you can get up and set forward an hour. Yeah. Yeah, good, <laughs> good idea. So um, that way you, you'll think, you'll know to do it. And I think my so. phone does that automatically. I just don't know when it does it. So. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Most yeah, electronics do it automatically now anyway. You know, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah. It's, Cable. It, but your clock hanging on the wall, and you know your microwave, oh, yeah. and you know yep. your toaster ovens, and all these non-connected things. You know, set your clock for two o'clock in the morning, Sunday morning. Get up, switch them off over an hour, and go back to bed. Yeah, and you will be upset. Uh, That's right. You, you all know I'm going to be upset. But daylight saving time. You know, last year they, Florida was talking about doing it year round, and that is sort of. Died. We'll probably see something in the paper again about Florida wanting to do it year round. So, yeah, yeah. yeah there was an article uh, in one of the papers, I think, online online news sources that said, uh, you know, set them this, you know, Sunday. However, it may be the last time. So yeah, uh, we still don't, you know, who, who knows? <laughs> who knows? They're still talking We're about still they, they, it. Yeah, kicking it around all the time and all that. You know, uh, I don't know. It just. I mean, well, we'll see what happens. I think if they do it, I don't think it's going to last because it's going to put Florida in a completely different time zone than the rest of the country. Literally, we will mm-hmm. be one hour ahead of the whole rest of the country, you know, at minimum one hour ahead. So I don't know if they're going yeah. to do it. But, but oh, well, it should be fun. It should be fun. At the yeah. Uh, Absolutely. Um. We've got food. Hope you all been following the food thing. Today is the seventh, and it is National Crowned Roast of Pork Day. Crown Roast Pork, National Roast of Pork Day, and National Cereal Day. So if you haven't had your cereal on wine today, then you know you still got a couple of hours to do it. Tomorrow, National Peanut Cluster Day. Get yourself a nice red wine and have some peanut clusters. Uh, that sounds good, actually. Saturday, National Meatball Day. And there are so many types of meatballs out there, which gives you the comfort of having so many different types of wine with it. Sunday, we have a couple of National Ranch Dressing Day and National Pack your lunch day. So anything can go on the lunch. So pack yourself a lunch, grab a bottle of wine. Or if you're going to go to the beach, pack yourself a lunch. Or if you're going to go out on a picnic or something, pack yourself a lunch and grab yourself some wine in a can or wine in a box or wine in a Tetra pack or any number of ways. You don't have to carry that bottle around, uh, which a lot of places don't allow it, like beaches and stuff. But they do allow cans. So that gives you... A lot better way to enjoy your wines out there. Monday the 11th, National Eat Your Noodles Day. 
Again, lots of types of noodles. You can have lots of different types of wines with it. Monday, Candy Bar Day, National Milky Way Day, and also National Baked Scallops Day. Baked scallops. Hmm. That's interesting. Uh, have some uh, Gewurztraminer with your baked scallops. Sounds like a good deal. Wednesday the 13th, National Chicken Noodle Soup Day. Coming at the end of all this cold snap around the country, so maybe people need it to get well. And then come up Thursday the 14th on our next show is National Potato Chip Day. And it doesn't say what type of potato chip either, so that leaves it open for all these different flavors they're coming out with now. There's a bunch of new ones that's supposed to be coming out soon, too, so... There you go. That's our food lineup for the following week, so you can match up wines with everything, uh, which is always fun to try a good match there. Speaking of wine, the one I am enjoying tonight is da -da -da -da, Florida State Winery Strawberry Port. Hey. Uh, looking for a bottle to open, and engineer says, let's have some port. So that's what we're doing. Uh, I may have to take more wine sip breaks than normal because it is the strawberry port. A few things we're going to talk about tonight. Number one, sweet wines. I know a lot of you are sweet wine fans out there. And so I'm going to give you a list of nine seriously sweet wines that you need to try. If you're a sweet wine person, even if you're not a sweet wine person, some of these are great wines. People think sweet wines, and they, you know, turn their nose up at them. I used to have people come into the winery, and I would get out the port. We'd get to the port, and they go, "Is this sweet?" And I said, "Well, it's a port. Normally, ports are sweet." And they go, "I don't want any." I go, "Why? Have you had my port?" Well, no. Then how do you know you don't like it or like it or whatever until you've tried it? And well, I don't like sweet wines. And just because it's a sweet wine doesn't mean that it's not a good wine. This is something you're going to have to realize that sweet does not equate with bad when it comes to wines. There are some very nice sweet wines out there that are really a joy to drink. And some of the food pairings that I give you here, some of the sweet wines have been go great with some of these food pairings. So here's a list of nine sweet wines that you might consider adding to your list. And these are, Mike, you're a sweet wine drinker. These are some that you might look at and, and uh, consider too. Okay. First one, Moscato de Asti. Moscato de Asti. M-O-S-C-A-T-O-D with a little apostrophe, A-S-T-I. Moscato de Asti. Uh, this is from the Piedmont region of Italy, originally from the Piedmont region of Italy, uh, which is famous for Nebbiolo. Uh, but the Moscato has been cultivated there since back in the Roman times, actually. Uh, they are uh, Frizzant, uh, F-R-I-Z-Z-A-N-T, Frizzant, and it's sparkling. Uh, unlike the Spumante, now, you can get a Moscato di Asti Spamanti, which is full sparkling, but the, the uh, a lot of them come in the Frizzant, which is a somewhat sparkling. Great aromas, perfumey aromas, peach, pear, 
coming out in the aromas. And it just, it's really a nice, sweet wine that's not overpowering. Uh, 90 to 120 uh, grams per liter residual sugar. And it's going to run you around $15, which is really, really reasonably priced for uh, the sweeter wine. Next one is a Tokei Atsu, T O K A J I, Atsu, A S Z U, with a little mark above the U. This is a white wine made with uh, a, a white grape called the Ferment, F U R M I N T. They are infected with Bertritis, or the noble rot, Bertritis scenario. It uh, makes for a honey-type uh, flavors uh, and saffron, ginger, along those lines there. It's, uh, well, as this article says, it's the closest thing to drinking stars. It's uh, sweet level 60 to 450 grams per liter, which is high, let me tell you. That's residual sugar. And it's going to run you around $50 a bottle. Uh, for and there's numerous ones out there, so you're not just stuck with one, but it's it's very good. Sauternes, this is from Bordeaux. Uh, there's an area along the Garonne River that gets super moist and covered with fog, and this is the fog is what develops the Botrytis scenario and uh, the noble rot. And it affects the Simeon, Sauvignon Blanc, and Muscadel grapes. And then they're blended together and come up with the flavors of marmalade, honey, ginger, spice. Salterns are great. If you like sweet wines, salterns are really, really good wines. Residual sugar is going to run you 120 to 250 grams a liter. You know, expect to spend minimum of $25, and that's going to go up from there. It depends on what names you get and all that. But uh, uh, for a sweet wine, it is well worth at least a try if you find one. A lot of them are bottled in uh, half bottles in the 375 milliliter. And that's uh, so your $25 bottle of wine is going to probably be a 375 milliliter. Baronoslesa. Baronoslesa Riesling. This is out of Germany. It's a. Uh, or BA for short, it's usually referred to as. It's uh, there's a lot of Baron Auslaces in Germany. It depends on the regions you are in and all that. So you can get find them all over the place. Uh, they are seriously sweet. You're starting to get into sweetness levels here. Uh, they the grapes are harvested hand stuck by. Uh, Bunches with noble rot to be sure that they all have it. Uh, they're sweet and uh, honeycomb type taste. A little bit of acid, not overpowering, but enough to balance out some of that heavy sweetness. And if you really want a little bit sweeter, go with the Trockenbeerenosch Lisa. Uh, that's T R O C K E N B E E R E N. A-U-S-L-E-S-E. Uh, talking Baron Auslese, and then Baron Auslese is just a B-E-E-R-N, a B-E, 
E R E N A U S L E S E. Um, German wines, going to the German section. The Baron Rushlesa, sugar levels 90 to 220. And uh, you're going to spend around $90 for a bottle of that. Uh, maybe. Maybe even more. If you're going to get the talking bear and laces, you expect around 120, 125. A sip of port there. Uh, next one, ice wine. Uh, ice wine. German ice wine. E I S W E I N. Ice wine. The grapes are left on the vine into the winter until it freezes. Most people know about ice wine because Cal- um, not California, Canada and New York publicize them a lot. The grapes are pressed while frozen, so only sugar oozes out, and this syrupy, sugary liquid is then fermented into a wine. Best ones are usually made from Riesling and or Gruner Wittlander grapes, and they come from places where it gets cold enough to freeze. Now, Germany has some strict rules on what they can make ice wines and uh, when they should be picked and what the temperature is and stuff like that. They're pretty tight on their ice wine rules. Canada, Austria, United States, much, much more relaxed on the rules. German ice wines are going to cost you some money. They're going to run you... Oh, you know, 80, 90, 100, $150, depending on which ones you get. If you find ones from the United States, they're going to be a little bit more expensive because they think that they deserve to get more money for them. I, I have an issue with how much money domestic ice wines are. Canada, a few years ago, said, hey, you know, we don't have to charge that outrageous amount for ice wines. We're not regulated as strongly as Germany is. We produce an ice wine every year. Why don't we lower the price and get more or sell more? And they did and they do. So if you're looking for an ice wine, I highly recommend Canadian ice wines. They are, you know, anywhere from $20 on up and they're good. There's absolutely nothing. Residual sugar is going to run you 120 to 220 grams a liter. It's, it's a little high there. So ice wines. Then we have Rutherglen Muscat. Rutherglen Muscat. Okay, this is a rare variant of the Moscato grape. This is red. Uh, Muscats usually aren't. Uh, this is also known as Muscat Blanc. Uh, petite grains uh, grows in Victoria, Australia. They're harvested late in the season when they become dried and partially brown, so that the sweetness is more concentrated. Uh, the same principle as, as you know, late harvest only without the freeze. This is gives you a, a aromas of toffee, dried strawberries, hazelnut, and very sweet, uh, very sweet, despite. The greatness, it's really pretty cheap. Uh, one of the best super fine wines for the price that you're going to find anywhere. Uh, the Rutherglen Muscat. Sweetness level 200 to 400 plus grams per liter. Wow. You're getting prices starting at $18. Jeez, that's 
good. In fact, let me make a note and look up the because my list of wines that I have, I told you I, I have a list of wines. My list of wines list the different types of wines that are made like that and cost and stuff. And so once I finish this list here, I'll bounce over to that and give you an idea of what prices are. So, Rutherford Glen, Rutherglen, not Rutherford, Rutherglen, R-U-T-H-E-R-G-L-E-N, Rutherglen Muscat. Next is Ricotto della Vallapacella. Uh, Vallapacella is a wine region around Verona, Italy, and it's famous for its Amarin wines. Uh, it's uh, the, uh, Rether- I'm sorry, it's pronounced uh, Ricciotto. Recito uses the same progress or process as Amron, where the grapes are dried on mats to concentrate the sugars. And the major difference between Amron and uh, Recito is that the fermentation stops before the sugars have all fermented. So drinking Recito is like liquid chocolate covered in cherries. And that's not my quote. That is from this article here. So gives you an idea. Sweetness level is only 110 to 200 grams per liter. I say only, which is outrageously high anyway, but compared to what I just read. Expect to send, spend around $60 for this wine. Next one, vintage port. Ports are sweet. Most most of them are sweet. You'll find some some dry ports out there. There are dries, and that's that's great. But the mo- a lot of them are sweet. The Douro Valley in Portugal was the second world's second official region. It was uh, demarcated in 1757, and that is the home to two port wines. Uh, most of the wines we see in the stores are ruby ports and different things. A vintage port is one that recognizes the year. It's a it's a step up in terms of quality, and you can taste the difference. Um, vintage ports are also designed to seller for, well, your lifetime, another 50 to 100 years. So, uh, you know, you can drink them now, though, they, you know, anytime. Sweetness level, 90 to 140 grams a liter, and $50 or more. And if they're old vintage ports, expect to pay thousands they can get very, very expensive. Last one we have for you is PX, uh, which is short for Pedro Jimenez. Pedro Jimenez. Uh, this is a rare white wine grape from southern Spain. Uh, it's, uh, it's a sweet sherry, actually. It involves allowing the grapes to age in barrels for many years, uh, causing liquid to become a a brownish black in color. Uh, over the time, the fluid in the wine slowly evaporates, both water and alcohol, which concentrates the sugar. So it's a, it's a great process. You can look it up and really uh, find some interesting stuff about that. It, uh, the Pedro Amenez is a, a long time. Expect to pay over $50 a bottle for it. Your residual sugars are going to run 300 grams a liter and up. So there's... Uh, 
There's a list of sweet wines for you sweet wine lovers out there. And uh, let me look up this one here. I was uh, talking about, I always have a hard time finding my my grape list. I don't know why. There it is, wine grape varieties. Because uh, I always start looking at a grape instead of wine grape varieties. Okay, the rather Rutherglen Muscat is what I was going to check out for you. And uh, well, look at that. It is maybe not. Yeah, this is so rare they don't even have on this list here. Wow. So Rutherglen Muscat. Look in the Australian section. That's down under Australian section. And check out your your Rutherglen Muscat there. So, all right. Uh, I was... Let's see. Is this the box? I think so. Uh, no, this isn't the box. Uh, is this the box? I know I have a box here that... Yes, okay. Before I forget, some wineries have some events coming up, so I'm going to talk about them. Ennery River Winery. Ennery River Winery is having uh, new, new, new food options, wine lists, seasonal wines, the uh, new wine and snacks, introducing boar's head meat and cheese that they have available at the winery. Blueberry wine is back on the menu. And so they have the blueberry wine and they have boar's head. You can buy boar's head and enjoy it with your wines at the winery. They are located in Newberry, South Carolina, 1650 Dusty Road in Newberry, South Carolina. Uh, you know, I need to make a note of these websites so I won't have to search for them every bloody time. But uh, here we go. Henry River Vineyards dot com. Henry River E E E N O R E E River Vineyards dot com. Then we have Delmonico Winery and Delmonico Winery census a uh web and, and newsletter and all that every month. If you want to sign up for these things, too, you can do that. And just go to the websites they give you and sign up for it. But Delmonico Winery and Vineyards, they are located what, what a beautiful building they have here, too. Uh, they are located in Baxter, Tennessee at 600 Lance Drive in Baxter, Tennessee. Uh, open seven days a week. They're closed on major holidays, obviously. Phone number 931-858-1177, uh, 600 Lance Drive in Baxter, Tennessee. And they've got all sorts of stuff going on there. They've got uh, tasting and tours. They've got uh, meals. They have events. They have everything you want. So, Demonico Winery. Uh, in Baxter, Tennessee. 
beautiful, beautiful building, beautiful place there. So if you're in that area, check them out and uh, see what's going on there. Then we also have Walsh Vineyard, which we've talked about Walsh before. They're located in Pennsylvania, WalshVineyards.com. They are having their harvest, uh, wine pairing dinner harvest, on March 14th, which is coming up a week from today. Wow. It is from 5.30 to 8. And it's they've got all sorts of good stuff. Uh, fried chicken and charcoal waffle and uh, wine between each course. I'm not going to go through all the meal for you here and everything. They also, you know, Santa Maria style tri-tip roast with chickpeas. They've got all sorts of goodie stuff here with desserts and all that. And wine between each course, $75 per person plus tax and gratuity. Reservations are required. They are located at 1599 Old Line Road in Mannheim, PA, Pennsylvania, 17545. And uh, phone number 717-664-9463. And you can go at info at waltzvineyards.com or www.waltzvineyards, W-A-L-T-Z, vineyards.com. So uh, there's those. And I think I've got it one more for you here. Uh, no, our, our, our friends Whispering Oaks. Whispering Oaks always has stuff going on located in Central Florida. Another sip of port. Last week, or last week or week before last, it can't be the week before last because we weren't here. I think it was last week. I was talking about Zinmendorf, and I I was thinking it was from Spain. And I found this article here. It's rather long. I'm not going to get into the whole thing here because I got a couple other things I want to talk about, but. It's saying that Zimendal is really from Croatia. That is where the it, it's been traced back to Croatia. Croatia is the Zimendal origins, and uh, they're excited to know that Zimendal is from Croatia. It's uh, they call it uh, oh geez, uh, well, where is the word here? A Croatian Zimendal. Uh, I'm talking about a winery here. The uh, it took him years by scientists at the University of Zagreb in Croatia, and a professor at the California University of California Davis to do the research, and they traced the origins back to 1990s. Uh, and they discovered after DNA testing and everything that the origin of Zimendal is from originally from Croatia. So I just I, I saw this. I it, it goes into a little bit more detail and talk about the people on uh, Primitivo. That's what I was trying to think. Primitivo uh, is uh, the original name, which translates into Latin for the first to ripen 
and it's an early ripening grape. And uh, they said it's close to the Greek uh, uh, tripodreg, which translates to early ripening. So uh, uh, the grape actually is traced back to its ancient name of tripodreg, uh, T-R-I-B-I-D-R-A-G, tripodreg. So Zimbabwe, uh Croatian wine, Tribodag. So if you hear Printivo or Tribodag, which Tribodag I don't think is used anymore, but Printivo. I know, I was I had it last week. That's why Printivo. That's what I remember. So that is a little update from last week when I was trying to tell you about the uh the Zimino. Trivia. It may seem a little hard to believe, but just an hour and a half north of Los Angeles, the wine country of Santa Barbara County boasts more than 80 wineries. Though the modern wine industry there has dated to the early 1970s, wine grapes have been growing in that part of California for more than 200 years. In 17, it was actually quite a bit over 200 years. If you look at it, 1782, Father Junipero Serra, the Catholic missionary who founded the Santa Barbara Mission, one of the very first in California, brought grapevine cuttings from Mexico and planted them in what is today the city of Santa Barbara. Later, in 1842, a grapevine planted on a farm in nearby Carpinteria grew to proportions surely deserving of comment in the Guinness Book of World Records. Within 50 years, the vine's trunk measured nine feet around. This is the trunk of a grapevine, by the way. Its branches formed an arbor covering two acres, and it was producing more than 10 tons of grapes a year. We can all say wow at the same time. That's, just, that's amazing. That is amazing. Uh, grapevines grow. For a long, long time. And if you don't trim them back, they will grow like crazy everywhere. Had one of the winery that I planted, muscadine grape. I didn't trim it, didn't do anything to it, just let it go crazy. And it was climbing up the tree that I had it next to and all over the sign and all sorts of it. Just, it was growing absolutely nutsoid there. Uh, muscadine, putting out grapes every year and stuff. I didn't pick them, didn't do anything with them. Uh, birds came in, animals and all sorts of stuff was eating them. But... It just went wild. Uh, not trimming it, not pruning it. We'll do that. Another bit of trivia. The Greek god of wine, uh, Dion- oh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, aren't I? Uh, Dionysus, Dionysus, D-I-O-N-Y-S-U-S, uh, from which, incidentally, the name Dennis comes, was well known throughout the ancient world. In 2002, archaeological evacuation, uh, excavations unearthed the sacred sanctuary of Dionysus in the complex known as Perpinkan in the east Rhodope mountains of modern-day Bulgaria. According to the team of archaeologists and historians who explored Perpinkan from the 5th to the 4th centuries B.C., the complex has was a holy town where all religions coexisted peacefully. Perpinkan was also the location of many forecasts and predictions, including the prediction that Alexander the Great would conquer the world. 
And as for Dionysus' presence, the complex contained numerous uh, Sherpani, S-H-E-R-A-P-N-I, which are wide openings carved in stone that were used for wine production. The location of the ultra-like Sherpani high in the hills above the town was one of the pieces of evidence that Perpetan was indeed the holy sanctuary of Dionysus. Hmm. So there, a little Greek wine history. And let's do one more while I'm reading it before I go into this other stuff here. I'll get other things. Uh, um, the sinking cork. You may have secretly wished for this, especially the time at that dinner party when trying to remove a cork gracefully, you watched it crumble into smithereens instead. I'm talking about the death of the cork, or more precisely, cork's official funeral. By the end of background, oh, excuse me, by the way of background, it's no news that wineries all over the world have slowly but surely been moving in the direction of upscale screw caps called Stelvin caps. Well, I don't know if that's upscale. People will argue that. This not only because corks really can be maddeningly impossible to extract, but also because of corkiness, the unpleasant smell that wines take on if, uh, if they've been stoppered with tainted corks. But in the fall of 2002, one man went further. Randall Graham, the iconoclastic irreverent winemaker and founder of Bonnie Dune Vineyards in Santa, Clara, uh, Santa Cruz, California, held bi-coastal funerals for the cork. The funerals in New York and San Francisco were held in restaurants, of course. Both dining establishments were dressed in black, and the menus were comprised of black foods. measles glazed black cod, black mole-roasted venison, a salad of dark and bitter greens, and so on. According to Graham, the cork had lived a good life some 417 years by his calculation. Graham placed its birth as having occurred in 1585. In Bonnie Dune, winery, by the way, is winter screw caps. So his burial of the cork corresponds with uh, Bonnie Dune going to screw caps. All right. Now I've got things to talk to you about that this first one, I'm, I'm not going to go into it deeply, but talk about biodynamic wines and how biodynamic and organic wines can help with a cover crop, one crop between the vines. And the article suggests that hemp might be a great possibility. Hemp is made from the marijuana plant, although it's not with THC, with the active ingredient in it. It's uh, the... Actually, the active ingredient in hemp is 0.2%, whereas um, most plants of the marijuana strain that they do now are anywhere from 2% to 20% or even higher. It's outrageous some of the THC strains are getting out there. But 0.2% is what hemp normally carries on THC. 
and it can be used for all sorts of stuff. And for tremendous amount of time, they're saying it's a great thing to have for a cover crop if you're going organic or if you're going biodynamic. So uh, you may be seeing more of that. I don't think, and I may be wrong, I keep hearing that they're legalizing hemp in the United States, that it's going to be legal to grow and sell hemp. I, I don't know if that's passed yet, if it's if it's true yet or not. I, I'll have to look that up, see if I can't find something on it. But I heard something in the past that said that they were looking at hemp being a crop, United States crop, which is good. I mean, it's can be used for a tremendous amount of things. Article here on Phloxra that I saw, which I, I thought was interesting once I, I read through this. I mean, it just talked about Phloxra, but it had some interesting stuff leading up to it. And it said that the wine industry saw a, a little decline in the 17th century because of politics and religious propaganda and all that. And so wine had to face uh, a, uh, a new rival, which was clean water in the 17th century. They, people were drinking wine because it was the only thing that was, well, not going to kill them <laughs> you know, with the water levels and all that water types that they had in the old world. But it still was being sold, not so much to England, but it was still being sold. Um, new developments helped the wine industry because of better glass making and corks, obviously, other accessories, and the method of production. It was 18th century, England witnessed uh, a big political uh, turnover and the relations with uh, France hurt a lot. And so, because of the strain with France, the English were not buying wine, so they were looking elsewhere to get wine. And they turned to Portugal, Holland, South Africa for their wine, which helped Portugal, Holland, South Africa, uh, get their wines around the world and get people familiar with it. Although the French didn't hurt completely, they still made good wines and they still soared and they were uh, the Bordeaux region really flourished more than anything uh, merchants who went to the Bordeaux region came from uh, Holland, Germany Iceland, Ireland Scandinavia areas that you would not think of but uh, they were selling wine and uh, getting supplies from all that and Bordeaux was trading coffee and other items to, you know, for the wine. So it, it helped spread all this around the world. But uh, Europe introduced in 1860 imported new North American buying stocks. And phylloxera was a part of that. Now, if you're not familiar with phylloxera, if you're your first time listener, if you're not familiar with it, that's a pest that gets into the grapevines uh, into the root system and uh, aphids crawl up in the grapes they spread to other wines it, it kills a vineyard it literally devastates a vineyard phylloxera will wipe out a vineyard in, in a matter of a season which is what happened in the European wine industry up until the early 1900s 
phloxes native to America, and the native grape species here were partially resistant, pretty much. European wine grapes of Vitifernifera was very successful, uh, susceptible to phylloxera. And so they were desperate. Uh, some growers were burying a toad underneath each vine, hoping that the toad would eat the aphids, the phylloxera. Obviously, that did not work. Uh, some areas thought that they were immune because they had sandy soils and it wasn't spreading. And some areas who had dry climates thought that they weren't, but didn't help. They all got affected. So a huge amount of research went into finding a solution. Two major solutions gradually emerged, hybridization and resistant rootstocks. Hybridization was breeding the vitus vinifera with the resistant species, which was the North American grapes, which were nasty phylloxera resistant. But the grapes tasted terrible, which made the wines taste terrible. So hybrids were not that good at resisting phylloxera after all. And so the two reasons uh, are hardly, and so that's hardly used today. Use of grafting is what actually took off grafting the American root uh, that is resistant, which is Vitus labrusca, and other American native species, uh, was planting the root system and then putting the grapevines on top of that, which does not affect the flavor of the grapes. It gives you the same grapes um, when you graft like that. And so that is what stopped the spread of phylloxera. And phylloxera has been around the world. It's, it's in a lot of different countries. Chile doesn't have phylloxera. They've always been immune to it. And I heard something. Somebody else to another country was was immune. I can't remember which one it was now, but it was, somebody said another country is immune to it also. So, the uh, phylloxera. I, I've talked about phylloxera before. If, if you want to hear more about it, you can look it up or you can you know, send me an email and I'll go into it more. Uh, and let's see what time we have time for this one. Next week, I am going to talk about yeast for wine. Wine yeast, which is quite interesting because yeast does come natural on grapes, but we add yeast. We use different types of yeast. The yeast that are on grapes don't really do a great job. And... There's lots of different things that get on grapevines. So different yeasts don't work as well as others, and you can stop fermentation. But very interesting about yeast and yeast used in wine grapes. Used right, you have yourself phenomenal wines. Used wrong, and you can stop fermentation so it doesn't go any further, and you can... Uh, end up with a bad batch of wine, a completely bad batch of wine that's no good. So we'll talk about that more next week. But one more thing I want to cover here is defects in wine. Do you know your defects? you know if a wine's bad or good or whatever? Or is it just people say, oh, this wine's bad? And you go, yeah. Why? What is it? Uh, being aware of certain defects gives you a better understanding of what you're drinking. Um the 
some wineries, well, some people can detect aromas differently than other people. And if you are in a group that is smelling wine and tasting wine, then the one person isn't always right and you're not always wrong because people's olfactory abilities are different. And so some people can detect things that other people can't, no matter how good they are and everything else. So this is something that you can always, you know, I've mentioned this before. You, you're not wrong or right. You just, you know, your noses are different, and different noses will pick up different things. Uh, it is suggested that if you're making a bunch of wine, the winery should employ different people to smell things and taste the things, not just the one person, because it could escape them. I used to always, if I was in the middle of making wine, I would have customers walk in. I was going to back and I'd bring out some out of the out of that when I was ready to bottle and I'd pour them a glass. And I said, this is brand new. This is what I'm making right now. Tell me what you think. And uh, most of the time people say, oh, this is great and wonderful. I, I had a couple of instances where somebody said to me, that smells funny. And I didn't notice it, you know, when you're working with all the time. So I, I started to mess with it and did some more tests and found what was wrong. So bottom line, be careful what that you don't short sell yourself on what you're smelling. Uh, every individual has genetically inherited predisposition and their ability to sense different smells. Therefore, you know, winemakers are advisable to... Oh, I got a call coming in. No, that's my engineer for the call. Uh, but here are... Eight different defects in a wine that you can look for. First one, oxidation. This, the impact compound associated with oxidation is acetylhyde, which typically smells like bruised apples or sherry. Oxidation often results in a browning of the wine. This is a naturally occurring process in heavily aged wines, but it is considered a wine defect in young table wines. SO2 stabilizes that a little bit, although some organic wines can be oxidized and they don't add any SO2. So it's an ongoing study, but we don't know. Number two, volatile acidity. There are two impact compounds associated with volatile acidity. Acetic acid, which is easily measured by a still, and it smells and tastes like vinegar. Okay, that's wine. Bad wine is not vinegar. Remember that. It, it smells and tastes like it, but it's not. And bad wine is not vinegar. Vinegar is a process. 
However, it's often difficult to smell acetic acid because of high concentrations. Uh, and we're talking grams per liter uh, versus milligrams per liter or parts per million. High concentration is needed before a human becomes sensitive to its aroma. The other impa uh, impact compound is ethyl acetate, which smells like nail polish. Many individuals can smell or taste the ethyl acetate flavor prior to sensing the acidic acid. And ethyl acetate is easy sensed in the milligrams per liter or PPM range, which is parts per million. Uh, human, human nose can pick up smells of things as low as two parts per million in different instances. So when you're talking parts per million, it's it's not such a small amount. Sulfur dioxide number three, or SO2. Uh, this is an uh, actual impact compound for this defect. It does not actually become a defect unless it is added to the wine. <coughs> Excuse me. It's actually not a defect unless it's added to the wine uh, at, at, uh, in concentrations that cause a burning or irritation in people's noses. Ow. And most places don't do that. If you get that much SO2, then the winemaker's trying to correct a flaw. Some people sense a smell of burnt matches uh, as opposed to the irritation. These sensations are reflective of high sulfur dioxide additions during the winemaking process. You add SO2 during the winemaking process to stop fermentation. Uh, or to kill other yeast or bacteria in there. Uh, it's different reasons you add it in there. So uh, sulfur dioxide, you can, you can smell and taste that. Hydrogen sulfide. Hydrogen sulfide is a sulfur compound that smells like rotten eggs. We've all smelled that. Some people describe the smell uh, this compound is hard-boiled eggs. Higher concentrations of hydrogen, hydrogen sulfide are often related to poor nutrient management during fermentation, which we'll get into fermentation next week and I'll tell you about that. Reduction. There's something else, too, that uh, they're saying is happening to organic and biodynamic wines. The reduction. Reduction is the impact compounds associated with a group of sulfur-containing compounds known as metacaptans. Metacaptans. Oh, I keep adding letters in there. Or thiols, T-H-I-O-L-S. This group of compounds typically smells like cooked cabbage or canned corn or canned asparagus or rubber or natural gas or garlic or onions or molasses and a well, big list there isn't it it's just you know um, as these compounds are not very stable their smell can do can be ever changing as concentration of the individual compounds change in the wine this is reduction and again they're saying that reduction is happening in organic and in 
biodynamic wines, which it shouldn't, but it is happening there too. Britomyces. 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 The two major impact compounds associated with the Britomyces, often referred to as Brett aroma, is 4-ethylphenol and 4-ethylglucol. The overall smell and taste of Britomyces infected wines will vary according to the concentration of each of these compounds. Brett wines typically exhibit a barnyard, leather, smoky, horsey, tar, or band-aid aromas and often carry a metallic taste on the palate. Wineries have Brettomyces. It's it's something that you're constantly, constantly battling in wineries. It's, it's it comes up quite often and you're always testing and trying to be sure you don't, and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning and cleaning. That's, I've said before, when I'm making wine, I, I, I spend the first three days cleaning, then I do, and then I clean again, then I do something else, and I clean again. It's just, it's a constant battle. You don't want that breath to get into the wine, and a lot of wineries are infected by breath. So it's, it's a constant, constant battle. Number seven, cork taint, or corky wine. This impact compound related to cork taint is 246-trichlorinosol. Uh, Trichlorinosol is abbreviated commonly to TCA. The contamination is associated with natural cork contamination at bottling or contamination of wood. Example, barrels, wood pallets, wooden fermenters in the winery. It could be any number of things, not just cork, but it could be any number of things. It could get into it. And it smells like a musty, dank basement, which is probably the best description I've, I've heard for cork cane. It's hard to describe it, but that's probably the best I've heard. Next one, and the last one is not going to be pronounced right. Uh, Methoxyrozine. Uh, uh, the impact compound often related to the green bell pepper smell is uh, isobutyl methylphysorazine, or IBMP, which is much easier to say than the other one. The smell is very characteristic of certain wine varieties and is especially prevalent in unripe grapes. The problem with IP, IBMP is that it masks the fruity aromas often preferred in many wine styles. So uh, some people look for that characteristic, but it's not good. It's an unripe fruit, and that's an unripe fruit will give you that. Here are some tools. There's just tools I gave you there. There are programs around the country. If you live in certain, you know, a lot of states, the um, extension, state extension centers. If you have a viticultural department or if you have uh, anything in your state with extension centers, a lot of them put on seminars to tell you how to detect these defects in wine. Uh, I, I've heard of them in New York, Pennsylvania. They're, uh, California, obviously, they, they do quite a bit. Texas does them, Oregon. And they put on seminars at the extension centers of the universities and they 
show you how to detect it, what it smells like, and what to look for on that. So if you have that available in your area, then it might be something to check out. Most of the extension centers are minimal cost or no cost. So there's something to check out there. So we're done yeah. for the night. That's some good info. That's a lot of that's a lot of um, chemistry of sounding things. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know the thing is, you can taste that stuff. You really can. I'm yeah. gonna get into chemistry sounding again next week with the wine yeast, but it's interesting the wine yeast. I mean, wine just doesn't become wine. Um, you, yeah. you don't just throw grapes into a tank and you know start boiling wine. So that article on yeast is uh, very very interesting. We'll cover that next week. But yeah, uh, it's uh, interesting stuff. Uh, what you can detect in wine and what comes out in wine and all that. It's just, it's just amazing. So mm-hmm. very good. Uh, we will definitely look forward to that, uh, next week then that'll be, uh, Thursday, the 14th and, uh, 7 PM, 7 PM Eastern time. Um, so make sure you change your clocks and you join us then, or you can always tune in on the archives. That's fine too. But, uh, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, look forward to that uh, discussion on yeast and uh, we'll have our periodic uh, table of elements with us uh, just in case and we'll get all scientific <laughs> and chemi- chemical uh, chemistry with you. So, yeah, <laughs> well, uh, I read uh, what was it? Oh, Google. I opened up mm-hmm. Google and they, you know, Google has a little heading every once in a while of different things. And I like today there's a Russian mathematician who solved of the theorem of, you know, somebody or something. I don't know. You know, if you're a mathematician, you're probably really excited about that. But not being a mathematician, I could care. But they had one on there about the guy who invented the periodic table. And huh. that was that was fascinating. I, I went into it and I read even more. I read it more deeply. And, and it was just fascinating. Other people invented it before him. But he's the one that actually found the weight and was assigning atomic weights to these different things and uh, the different uh, elements. And it has expanded since his time and all that. And he's put a gap in there. He said, because there should be more elements in this gap, and they have been. We've filled in some of the gaps and stuff. It's fascinating, though, but you, you mentioned the periodic table, and, and uh, I just, you know, that, that it's a fascinating little, little thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Discoveries and all kinds of stuff going on. Awesome. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, we will uh, look forward to that uh, next week, and uh, we'll join then. Uh, that's uh, March 14th, Thursday, next Thursday, seven days from now, and uh, 7 p.m. again, Eastern Time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Thanks for tuning in, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, you can always email us anytime at allaboutwine101 at gmail.com. Uh, that information and, is up on the page and as well as the show page. And follow us on <laughs> Facebook. You can always get a hold of us through that mm-hmm. also, I believe. You know, follow us on yep. Facebook yep. at uh, All About Wine. You know, Facebook All About Wine. And there's yep. stuff there, too. Yeah, um, absolutely. We'll see you all next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you Have for listening. Good, uh, week. Have a good week. Thank you. This concludes tonight's broadcast of All About Wine on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Ron. 
For show information, links to All About Wine on Twitter and Facebook, or to be a guest on this show, visit the show website at www.allaboutwinebtr.com. Archived shows are available for download on iTunes or on our show page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash allaboutwine. Thank you for listening. Drink responsibly, and we'll see you next time on All About Wine.